Right, well, good morning, church. It's, it's a privilege for me to be standing here and sharing God's word with you. Don't worry, we won't be talking much about the rugby, so we can, we can move past that very quickly. If you'd just like to turn in, in your Bible to Matthew 18, verse 1 to 6. And as you turn there, just a, an important statement that, that I think needs to be made is that we live in a world where there's a quest for greatness. You know, the world is on this journey for, to find greatness. We're told to achieve greatness at all costs. We're told that, that greatness is the thing we need to look for. But in this passage, we see that Jesus gives us a completely different idea of what greatness is. So if we are there, Matthew 18, verse 1 to 6. I'm going to read the whole passage, but mainly preaching from verse 1 to 4. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And called into him a child. He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you have written your word to us that, that instructs us for life, instructs us on, on how we live out this faith you've called us to, Lord. So just help us today to, to understand what, what you're trying to say to us each of us individually and as a church, Lord. So just pray for this in your name. Amen. As I've said, the, the world is driven by success. So last week, I was in Johannesburg for a, a conference. Um, I was in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg. So if you know anything about the northern suburbs, like driving past Ferraris and Lamborghinis is normal. Like you don't kind of blink. It's, they're just there. However, I drove around... And I got this feeling again and again that there's so many people there who are trying to fake it till they make it. They, they've been called into this lie that, that you need to chase your dreams at all costs. Success is, is how much you have in your bank account, what car you drive, and where you live. And they're chasing that at all costs. They're chasing that to, to get there at the expense of others. Recently, uh, I read the following quote. It, it might give away my immaturity, but that's fine. It's also about a great philosophical teacher, Jim Carrey. There we go. Glad some of you like him as well. So. But he said this at the 2016 Glo Global, Golden Globe Awards. He says, thank you. I am the two-time Golden Globe win winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy who goes to sleep. I'm the two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shutter. And when I dream, I don't just dream any normal dreams. No, sir, I dream about being the three-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Because then it will be enough. Then it would finally, finally be true, and I could stop all of this, this terrible search for what ultimately won't fulfill me. And, and the room went very awkwardly quiet at that moment. At this award ceremony to, to promote the, the greatness, the success of actors and actresses, best movies of the year, he says that, 
the truth is that this ultimately won't fulfill us. That award they win is there, but it's not the greatest thing there is. The truth is that we're in the search for greatness, and the search often leaves, leaves us asking more, asking for more. When is enough enough? But secondly, church, I feel that it's not just the world that's searching, but rather you and I as well. I feel like we've all said this statement in some form or the other. I try to think of as many ways to possibly put it. If I could just reach or attain or get or have, then I would be happy. If I could just get that pay increase, if I could just get that new car, that new computer, that new house, that new TV, then I would have made it. But the reality is that we and I face this dilemma. Once we have it, we always want something more. Once we get that new car, there's a better one. Once we get that 55-inch TV, they bring out a 56-inch TV. And then it's slightly curved because then you get a better view for some reason. I don't know. But there's always this challenge for more. There's always this challenge that we want more. And today I'm not wanting to kill ambition. I'm not wanting to say we just need to sit there and accept what we've got. Ambition is great. Ambition is what drives us. But the question, and the question that Jesus asks is, what is the heart behind your ambition? What is the, what is the heart that's driving your ambition? And, and this is where we land so well into the story with the disciples. The disciples' ambition was to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just a once-off passage that we see here, but a few accounts in Luke 22 at the Last Supper. The disciples are sitting with Jesus at the table for the last supper, the last meal. And at that point, an argument breaks out over who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The last meal, the last time they're going to have with Jesus, they sit and, sit and argue over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. In Matthew 20, we read the account of, of James and John and their mother coming to ask Jesus if, if she would give her sons the the greatest position in the kingdom of heaven, to sit at his left and right hand. In Mark 10, verse 54, 53, it seems like James and John were the ones who prompted their mom to go and ask Jesus for the position because when the disciples heard about the mother's request, they were infuriated with James and John. The disciples were on this quest to be the greatest. They wanted... They wanted the best seats at the table. They wanted the, the best positions that, that they could have. They, they wanted to be number one in the kingdom of heaven. And, and as I've been thinking about this, we, we haven't started a, a wedding. We, we have a guest list at the moment. We haven't started a, a seating plan yet. But the reality is, like, I know what people go through. If you get put at a, a wedding and you get put at table 10, there's someone at table 10 who's going to go, I'm like the last option to be here. You know, I wanted table one. Table one is the good table. Table 10 is the people who kind of just made the cut. So if you're at table 10, I'm sorry. That's not what happened. We're just going to put names in a hat and draw it out and hope for the best. But, you know, Jesus, Jesus was, was going to use their, their desire for greatness as a moment to teach them. I can see Jesus sitting there thinking to themselves, you want greatness. This is, this is what you want. So I'm going to turn the tables and challenge you on what your view of greatness is. What is your view on being great? And this is where the, the parable ties in so well. Firstly, we have, a, we have a choice for greatness. We can choose where we're, going to, where we're going to fall. William Shakespeare once said, Some people are born to greatness. Some achieve greatness while others have greatness thrust upon them. 
And we have a choice when it comes to greatness. We can choose the world's view, where we seek to get on top. We seek to leave as many people in our pathway to get there. And in some cases, the the more people you leave behind is like a trophy of your success to get on top. You you, You try and make it at all costs. Friends, family, those you love get left behind in your dream and ambition to get there. It drives you, but it also consumes you. It becomes everything. I have a friend in Joburg who leaves for work. In, this is in winter. She leaves for work when it's dark, and she arrives home when it's dark. Every day, Monday to Friday, sometimes Saturday and Sunday. It's the ambition to get on top. She wants to succeed. She wants to be the best she can be. But that's all she focuses on. And the truth is that that greatness isn't, greatness is often, often we see greatness as the biggest achievement that we can never really fulfill or never really achieve. As I said, once we've got it, we want more. Jim Carrey continues his, his statement or his speech at the, at the awards and he says this, but these awards are, it's, but these are important, these, are, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, that you wouldn't be able to find us or any other human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. Simply what he's saying is if you, if you were to look at, our, if you were to look at the, the earth from, from space, you would see a, 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 a clump of land and water. You wouldn't see you and I. You wouldn't, like, we don't even appear on that picture. But from our perspective, we are the biggest thing on earth. You know, we are the most important thing. We, if it, the world revolves around us in some sense. However, we also have the, the choice to, to choose greatness as God sees it, not just as the world sees it. Jesus never rebukes the, the disciples for their ambition. In all the, in all the accounts of, of the disciples wanting to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus never tells them to, to, to get rid of their ambition. Rather, he seeks to challenge them on what their view of greatness is. Amb- ambition is a good thing. It would be super boring if, if we didn't have draft or anything. But I challenge you, how is your ambition to go after God? The question, we, we ask, the question I want to ask you is, are you seeking after God like you're seeking after the pay increase or after the job promotion? Do we have that same drive to know God more and more? Do we have that same drive to... To, to be intimate with God. And in regards to greatness, Jesus throws the curveball. And, and I can kind of see the disciples sitting there going, okay, now this is the moment that Jesus is going to order us. You know, it's 1 to 12. This is how we're going to be set up in the kingdom of heaven. You know, I'm James going to be number one, Peter number two, John number three, and then the other nine disciples that I should know their names, but I don't. But, you know, you can see Jesus in there wanting to order them in. in. That's what the disciples are thinking. But Jesus brings in a little child. And he says, if you want to become great in my kingdom, if you want to become great in the kingdom of heaven, you need to become like this child. Jesus casts down the idea that greatness is based on what you've done or, what you, or how much you have achieved. The age of this child is unknown. Um, some commentators say that he must have been about under the age of 13 because he was still firstly considered a child. He wouldn't have been considered a child if he was 20. So, so he's under the age of 13, considered a child, and in a culture where, 
where the old expression "children should be seen and not children should be seen and not heard" was was kind of the Jewish culture for children, that they were there, but once you became an adult, then people would listen to you. And Jesus uses this child to model greatness, to model what the disciple should be should be longing for. So the second the second question is how do how do we become great? How do we become great in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus gives us three points when it comes to this. He says, firstly, there's a change that needs to happen. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn or change. There's a change that needs to happen. And it's a twofold change. For, for those who are seeking Christ, for those who are on a journey, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. There is no other way. That's the only way that we can be saved. The change, therefore, is a commitment to follow Christ, a confession of sin, and a, and a desire to follow after Him. We cannot enter the kingdom if we're not willing to submit to the authority and the lordship of Jesus. And, and that's where the, this change starts. For anyone in the room today, that's, that's where the change starts. That there needs to be a willingness to submit to the authority and the lordship of Christ. But secondly, as believers, we need a change as well. It's not just a once-off change, but a continuous change. We need to become more and more like Christ. We need to desire more and more of God each day. The famous words in, in John 3 verse 30, He must increase, increase, I must decrease. More of Christ, less of me. This is the change that we need to be willing to make. That we're willing to, to get rid of our own, our own success, our own fame, our own name. And focus more on the name of Christ. Focus more on making His name great than our own name. Secondly, there, there needs to be an adjustment. You need to become like a child. Jesus isn't calling us here to be childish, but rather childlike. We're not to be immature as believers and, and be tossed back and forth by, by everything. Rather, he's, He clearly tells us elsewhere that we need to have a firm foundation. So nowhere in becoming childlike means that, that we need to be immature in our faith. But rather, He... He wants us to be firm, but He wants us to be open. And the question that will drive our willingness to adjust our life is how much of God do you want? Or how much more of God do you want? What's standing in the way of, of stopping us knowing God more? What do we need to get rid of that, that allows us to spend more time with God? This answer to the question will, will show your desire to how much you're willing to adjust. Are you willing to swallow your own pride? Are you willing to go out of your own comfort zones? And are you willing to be no longer motivated by the world's standards? So recently I was at uh, my 10-year reunion, and I don't know what happens at school, but like the, I think the 50-year reunion group had like 30 people there, and the 10-year reunion group had like four people there. you think it would be the other way around. But someone, in my year group, someone was like, so what, so what do you do? Which is always the fun question, because the answers tend to go two ways when you tell people that you're a pastor. Either they tell you about how they've been at church and how great it is, but five minutes ago they were swearing at someone else, or they, they kind of just walk away. In this situation, someone asked me, what did I do? So I said, no, look, I'm a, I work at Sterling Baptist. I'm one of the, the interns there. And they were like, Oh, so you haven't really made it yet. I was like, well, it depends on what standard you put it. 
You know, if, if the, world, the world has a view that if you're not on top, you've, you still have something to succeed or you still have something to achieve. And this adjustment is, is an issue that for an unbeliever is salvation. Again, we cannot come to the kingdom, we cannot enter the kingdom if we're not willing to submit to Christ. But secondly, for a believer, that, that we are fully saved by God, but at the same time, there's a great transformation that needs to take place. We, we all, like, we all are, are rough stones that still need a lot of edges chipped off to make us smooth. We need to be shaped and molded to, to what God has called us to be. There's areas in my life, there's areas in your life where we all need to make adjustments. We're not the finished product. As soon as we think we're the finished product, that's when the issue is. That's where the issue comes, sorry. That we, we have no desire to change, we have no desire to, to grow. We think we've made it and we're just going to sit there and wait for, the, wait for the Lord to return. And I think thirdly, this is one of the hardest ones that Jesus calls us to do. And is that we need to be humble. Jesus says, whoever humbles himself will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A complete opposite to what the world says. If, you, if you're not a tyrant, if you're not looking to leave people in your wake, you'll never be great, is what the world says. Jesus says, we need to humble ourselves. He also says, if you want to be first, you must be last. And if the, he also said that the greatest among you must be a servant. And these are some of the revolutionary words that Jesus says, but, but what qualifies him to say that? You think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good statement, but it's, it's quite a hard one to follow up. And now my mark has just fallen out, so let me find it. There we go. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8 says this. Sorry, verse 4 to 6. Sorry. Let us, sorry, 6 to 8. I was like, there was a marker there. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." You know, that, that is what Jesus did. He came, he came to the world to, to experience the, the worst possible shame for the honor and glory of God. He came down from heaven as a servant to the people that he created, willing to die a, a death that was set apart for criminals so that we could be set free from sin. We have an example to follow when it comes to humility. So the question is, is how are we doing when it comes to humility? And I think as a church, I can stand here and commend us for our willingness to serve. You know, steak night that we had recently, I think there was more people in the kitchen than at one point than there were people sitting eating food. Because everyone just wanted to get in and serve. But our ch my challenge for us as a church is let us remain humble as we serve. It's easy for our humility to become pride. An old expression is humility, once you know you have it, you've lost it. Once you know you're you, you humble, there's a, there's a sense of pride. Where you go, look how humble I am. Why aren't, you, why aren't you as humble as I am? You know, you need to measure your humility against me. No, Jesus is saying we need to measure our humility against him. That we need to be willing to serve. 
and, and serve with a, with a humble heart. So finally, as we, as we wrap up today, is how, how do we seek to become Christ-like? You know, if Christ has, if Christ has told us to, to be, become like a child, how, how do we do this? And, and I can say this with confidence, firstly, that children aren't perfect. I can kind of see some parents nodding, going, I, I can tell you some stories. Nobody ever, nobody ever had to teach their child to be cheeky or, or, or tell them to, to be disobedient. From my experience, children are selfish in the sense that the world revolves around them and when it stops revolving around them, that's where the problem comes in. But I think what Jesus was saying is, is there's two major points of, of being a child that, that we, can, we can take into our faith, that we can take into our walk with Him. And firstly, it is that children are unpretentious. They haven't learned to take themselves too seriously. The truth is that, that a child didn't have to learn to lose their temper, or they didn't have to learn to, to, to be cheeky. But the truth is that they had to learn to impress others around them. If you don't believe me, and you have a toddler, ask them to dress themselves, and then take a photo. It's going to be pink and blue and green and two different shoes and socks on their hand. Why? Because for them, that's what they want to wear. They don't actually care what you think. Although, yeah. <laughs> so it's a fair point as well. But you know, they, they don't care. That they, they, They're not there to impress anyone around them. Children have nothing to improve. They have no agenda to impress. And, and I think as, as, as Christians, we, we can be the same. Our, our goal should be to, to seek Christ, not, not the world standard. And this is like Jesus, the king of the universe, who came to the world and was born in a stable to be a servant. He didn't come with flashing lights, with fireworks, with a, with a great parade. You know, Jesus is born, everyone come and flock to see him. Rather, a few people flocked to see him and no one else really cared. Everyone else just carried on with their life. And in John 4, verse 7, where, where Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he eventually asked the woman for water. And firstly, that the first point there is that Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. So this wasn't normal. Secondly, any decent Jew would not take food or drink from a Samaritan. But rather, do we see Jesus was willing to humble himself so that he could reach her. He was willing to humble himself so that he could have a conversation with her and eventually results in, in her coming to, to faith in him. So what is Jesus asking us to do? We need to become unpretentious in our estimation of ourselves. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. So often we get so caught up in, in us or in me or our. You know, it's all about how this affects me, how this impacts me. We get so focused on me. And secondly is how do we deal with others? Are we willing to be a servant? Are you willing to humble yourselves for the purpose of God? Are you willing to serve others around you? Secondly, I think the other point that Jesus focused on here is that we are called to be unsophisticated. I often joke and say, I wish I could go back to when I was eight. I don't know why I chose eight. I don't know if it was like I got a cool Christmas present or something. But I often, like, that's my default age, where, where life was so uncomplicated. 
You know, life was fun. I had no worries. Big life issues included a flat tire on my bicycle or all my tennis balls stuck on the roof. You know, those, those are the big life issues that I faced at eight. It, it wasn't complicated. And the truth is that children haven't learned to think the worst about people. This is why you need to teach a child not to take sweets from a stranger. Because for them, the sweet is more important than the person who gave it. Everyone is good in their eyes. Secondly, children are not ambitious. They're not affected by praises and flattery. Thirdly, children are not self-conscious. A child will ugly cry in front of you, and they don't care. Us, we, we kind of sneak around into the back corner so that people don't see us. But church, I think when it comes to being unsophisticated, I think we've, we've complicated this, this walk that we call faith. We've, we've got so rooted in, in our ideas that, that we, we kind of focus on these seven-step programs or 30-day challenges or, or we look for the next big thing that, that's going to make our faith come alive. But the truth is that Jesus commands us to love God and love people. Everything else revolves around that. Jesus was asked to summarize the law, and he said, love God, love people. That, that sums up most of Exodus Leviticus in, in two sentences. So practically, how do, we, how do we live out this childlike faith? How do we live out this, this faith that Jesus has called us to do? And the first point is that we need to become more dependent on him. Like a child is dependent on their parents, so we need to depend on Christ. As Rod shared earlier, seek first the kingdom of heaven and the rest will, will follow. The rest will be added to you. So often we try to trust ourselves, we trust what we can do, and we wonder why things aren't working out. Why things aren't going as planned. Secondly, we need to, we need to become trusting and, and not suspicious. We call to trust God. He's the one with the plan for our lives. And the other day I was, chatting to, I was chatting to someone and they said, wouldn't it be great if God just like laid out the plan for your life on a table and that you could see it? And, and, and on, on, on surface level, that sounded great because I, okay, I know, I know that what my life's going to look like. But secondly, I thought to myself, I also, I also can see all those low points. I can see when I'm going to be in the valley and when I'm going to be on the mountain. And if it was my choice, I wouldn't choose those valley experiences. I'll choose the mountaintop the whole way. And I'm so glad that God doesn't give me my whole plan because there's a, there's a point where I just need to trust Him. He's the one who's going to carry me through. He's the one who's going to carry us through the, the bad times. He's the one who's going to, we can celebrate with on the mountaintop. Thirdly, we need, to be seeking, we need to seek to learn and grow and not think that we've made it. I think the worst statement that could be made regarding this generation of Christians is that we have no desire to seek and grow. We have no desire to long after God. Recently, I've been reading a little bit about the, the Reformation. So 500 years ago was when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. And just kind of looking at some of the, the greats from that point, you know, Luther said, when, when, I have, when I have a busy day, I wake up earlier so I can still pray for three hours. I go, when I have a busy day, like five minutes, because I've got stuff to do. You know, there's, there's such a challenge in, in, how, in how much are we, 
How much are we seeking after God? And finally, are we willing to humble ourselves that God can work through us? Reading through the, or doing a little bit of a character study through, through Genesis, we, we got to Joseph, a man who was humble, but also a man who was second in charge of Egypt. Humility doesn't mean that we, we're not going to get the position. Humility doesn't mean that we, we're going to stay at the bottom of the food chain. But humility also means that we, we're willing to serve others. We're willing to take others along the, on the journey with us. So are we willing to serve from a, from a place of humility or do we just want people to see us? Do we want to be the center of attention and then tell people how humble we are? So church, I feel like today God, God is asking us to depend on Him more, to trust Him more, to seek to know Him more, and serve Him out of humility. S- serve Him out of humility. And I think that's the, the challenge for today. So let me, let me close in prayer. So Lord, just thank You for, for Your Word, Lord. Thank You that it, it teaches us so many things. Thank You that it, it, it counteracts so much of what the world says. So, Lord, just pray that as we, as we go from here, Lord, that we will depend on you more, that we will trust in you more, that we will seek to, to know you more, Lord, and, and help us to hum, humble ourselves and, and let you work, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray for this in your name. Amen.